take it to the Lord in prayer. We sang that song and featured that song, that well-known song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, because that's the title of my sermon today, Take It to the Lord. You know, I was reflecting over my life and uh, especially the section in the song that said, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Now, I know that Jesus said that in this life we will have troubles. I understand that. There's no such thing as a trouble-free life. But I was reflecting on my life and I wondered how much trouble I'd gone through needlessly. I wonder how much emotional pain or relational pain that I'd gone through that I didn't need to go through if I'd taken it to the Lord, worked it through with him, and having worked it through with him, then worked it out in my circumstances. Last week, I spoke on the topic of love, the more excellent way. And in that, we focused on 1 Corinthians 13, love is. And uh, we said that Paul was speaking to the Corinthians who were a loveless church. They had all the power gifts, but they were vying for status and importance and resources, taking one another to court. We looked at the whole tragic situation. And Paul spoke into them and said that there was a more excellent way to live. It was the way of love. And then he described love in 1 Corinthians 13. Most people, they say, well, what is this love that we are to put into practice in our Christian lives? Well, you can find it in 1 Corinthians 13. There's a description of what it is and it isn't. We looked at that last week. You can go to uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, humility. That's what love looks like. Or you could go to uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are uh, the peaceful, for they shall be sons of God. And the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 right through 7, talks about the spirit-filled Christian life marked by love and how to put that into practice. At the end of the sermon, I, I said that in order to step out in a life of Christian love, after all, Jesus said, this is my commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And Paul, just before he described the fruit of the Spirit being love, uh, spoke to them and said, the whole of the law, in other words, the whole of the Old Testament's uh, desire and high watermark was this, that we love our neighbour as ourselves. And I said that in order for us to grow in this Christian love, out there in the marketplace, out there in London, out there in our families, our marriages, our workplace, our study place, if we're going to see these actually bear fruit in reality, then in order to walk or begin to walk or grow in the walk of love, we have to undergird it with a very strong prayer life. You can't love out there if you haven't taken out there to the Lord and know that he is in control of it and that you've prayed through the issues. And so coming to this take it to the Lord in order to be able to love out in the marketplace, we come to James. And uh, James too, it's interesting, Paul had to deal with a loveless church in Corinth. He also had to deal with a loveless legalistic church in Galatia. 
And here James is having to deal with a loveless church as well. And, uh, and they're, they're trying to make life work without love. And they need wisdom from above. They're trying to solve their problems without prayer, without love. And it's all going wrong. Well, I'm going to do a reading from the end of James. James chapter 5 and verse 16 following. James 5, 16 following. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Right at the end of this letter to uh, these Christians who were fighting and arguing and trying to make life work without love and prayer, we'll see how they did that in a moment, he ends and in this last section of James, he's saying, he's speaking about the healing of a fractured community, a community at war with itself, a Christian community at war with itself. And he's talking about forgiving one another. There he says, you know, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. In other words, be made whole and be of a one mind. And then he says, the effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much and gives us Elijah as an example. We'll come back to Elijah as the example of effective prayer in a moment, but let's just dwell here. The effective prayer of a righteous person produces or accomplishes much. Prayer is the most powerful weapon or the most powerful tool that a Christian has to face this fallen earth in love. And here, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man. He doesn't just say the prayer. You know, you can have a lot of praying that's not effective at all. People just mumbling in tongues, or perhaps a Pentecostal charismatic prayer meeting where where someone takes a microphone and just starts shouting down it. Why do we shout down microphones when we're given microphones? I don't know. But just shouting aimlessly, you know. And, and, and a lot of prayer can, can, can not be effective because effective prayer is focused. It's focused on what needs to change and to come into line with God's kingdom. It's concentrated it's not playing around. It wants to see change. It needs to see change. And it's storming heaven to see God's kingdom come. Effective prayer is faith-filled. It's not just throwing out words. But there's an expectancy in our prayers that if they're in Jesus' name and in his will, that God will actually answer them and make a difference in our circumstances. An effective prayer is heartfelt. It doesn't just come from, from your mouth or from your mind, but it comes deep from within you. It's a heartfelt prayer to the Lord. It's a heart that's connected to the circumstances or individuals that need the prayer, but also it's a heart that is connected upwards to the throne and grace of God and makes a connection, like, like an electrical connection, if you like, between the power of heaven and the need on earth and through that prayer life, the Holy Spirit brings an answer. That's effective prayer. 
The effective prayer can accomplish much. Accomplish much. One of the words that's used here, the word used for effective in the Greek, uh, the New Testament was written originally in the Greek, is energeo. Energeo, from where, where we get the word energy. And that word can mean effective, powerful, energized, availing. So in other words, when we pray effectively, we are releasing divine energy into human situations. God is on the scene because we've prayed him to be on the scene to do his will. Another word, word that, that, is, that is used in, in this phrase is uh, energeo, accomplishes much, is iskuo, which means strong, powerful, able, victorious is the prayer of a righteous person. So James is saying that prayer really works. Prayer is the most practical thing that you can do to deal with the daily situations that you face. And then having prayed effectively, you can then walk confidently with the principles of kingdom love into that situation, knowing that God is in control. This is what James is speaking about because these people that he's writing to, they were trying to make life work without love and without effective prayer. They didn't realize it was the most practical thing that they could, they could do. Let me encourage you, because you can't live the Christian life without a Christian prayer life. You can't be the person that God wants you to be out there in the marketplace, in the home, in the marriage, unless you undergird your practical outworking of your Christian faith in life with a prayer life. God has made it so it doesn't work that way. God has made it so that the more we understand that life works through a strong, effective prayer life, the more we will pray. There'll become a dependency, a drawing, understanding that without God, we cannot. But with God, we will be victorious. And as we do that, and as we see God working in our circumstances through persistent prayer and through growing in the actions of a loving life, we will increasingly increase our prayer and increasingly become what Jesus wants us to become. So let's go to James 4 and see what the problem were with these people that were living a loveless, prayerless life and paying the consequences. In fact, what does it look like for a Christian to live a loveless, prayerless life? We'll see right here in James chapter 4, verse 1 following. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source? Is it not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes him an enemy of God. So here we, these are Christians that James is addressing. 
and they are living their lives as if they weren't saved. And they were living their lives, they weren't praying, you don't get because you don't ask. And even if they did pray, they weren't praying the prayer, your will be done, your kingdom come, but my will be done, and could you help me with it please, Lord? It was self-centred. They were were not living their life relying on the Lord or even wanting the Lord's will to be done. You know, I mentioned that you can see in 1 Corinthians 13, we looked at that last week, and this is a follow-on from last week's sermon. In 1 Corinthians 13, it said what love didn't look like and what love looked like. And Paul said, love is not boastful. Love is not unkind. And that's what the Corinthians were at that time, boastful and unkind. But then then he started to say that love is patient, love is kind, and begins to describe it. You can see that also in the fruits of the Spirit that I mentioned er earlier. And so when we see here that they were envious, fighting, quarrelling, weren't praying, had wrong motives, uh, that they were conflicts and quarrels, what James is saying is that you've missed it all. You've missed the power of prayer with a love motivation. Earlier on in James, James criticizes these Christians because he sees that they're trying to make life work through the world's resources alone and without recourse to God and God's supply. So if you know James, you know that the problem was is that these Christians, they were looking for rich people. So they didn't have any time for poor people or people that had no resources because a poor person with no resources, they can't help me make my life work. But as soon as somebody was rich, famous, powerful, had some kind of ability that maybe could help them in their road and their their desires for success, they would make a beeline for these rich people and they'd start courting them. Oh, would you like to be in my cell group? I'd like to be in your cell group, not you. You don't have a job. But you, you're the CEO. And so they graviated to them. They did that because they were looking to meet the world's demands through the world's resources. And this was the problem. This is why James told them, uh, he said, you know, you need to obey the uh, royal law, James called it, the royal law. And the royal law being love your neighbour as yourself just like the Galatians they weren't loving their neighbor as themselves Uh, they weren't doing to others uh, what they would like them to do to them but they were doing to others before the others did that bad thing to them Uh, they, they were in what we might call the rat race of fallen humanity operating their lives by its fleshly rules rather than learning to love and learning to pray to deal with the circumstances and situations that they face. Remember what I said at the beginning? The effective, powerful prayer of a righteous person availeth much, the old authorised version says, or produces much, or has a powerful impact on real circumstances, real events, and real people. Prayer works. We're going to come back and see how Elijah worked prayer as the example at the end. But they weren't doing that. They were living worldly, fleshly lives as if there was no God who listened to prayer, as if God couldn't change the situation that they were in, and that if, and that as if they were to love others, then somehow uh, they would just be walked over. 
What they needed was wisdom from above. What they were living was the great rat race. Now, have you ever heard of the rat race? People say, oh, it's a rat race out there. And I was thinking as I read James 4, it looked like they were in a rat race. They were fighting and arguing. They, they, they were uh, competing. They were aggressive. They were fighting for whatever they could get, fighting for position. I mean, it's a terrible situation here uh, in chapter 4. And, God, and James is saying, you're friends with the world, which makes you an enemy to God, even if you're a child of God. So I looked up what the rat race was on the internet. And the Cambridge Dictionary says, the rat race, a way of life in modern society in which people compete with each other for power and money. The Collins Dictionary says that the rat race is like, if you talk about getting out of the rat race, you mean leaving a job or a way of life in which people compete aggressively with each other to be successful. I then went to Wikipedia, knowing that everything you read in Wikipedia is true, and read about the rat race. And they said that the rat race uh, that's applied to modern society, as I've just mentioned, is actually based on uh, a maze, a single maze that they would use in laboratories when they would uh, test things on rats. And uh, it would be a rat race. And, and these rats would be running around this maze in different conditions. And it would all be controlled by the experimenter. He'd make different uh, conditions um, like cold and heat. Or it, he would put uh, hide cheese or something in various parts of it. And they would be running around this maze all the time like lunatics. Uh, running this way, never getting anywhere, never achieve, achieving everything, anything. Uh, always knowing that, well, they didn't know, they didn't realise because they were rats. But... All they had to look forward to was another rat race the next day in the experimental departments. And it can be like that. I had a friend of mine was talking to myself and my wife very recently about her job situation. And though she didn't use the word rat race, she was describing it. And she was saying, do you know, sometimes I wonder what is it all about? What, what, are, they, what are they actually wanting? The backstabbing and the fighting and the politicking and, and just more money or more status? Is, is, is that it? And, and she was sort of uh, explaining what it was like in a, in, in a very incisive way, but also how, how she was struggling at, at it, especially being a Christian. Sometimes people out there, they talk about leaving the rat race, don't they? And, I, and, I've, and I've got, uh, uh, in, in the Cambridge Dictionary, it gives an example of how to use the rat race. It says, he decided to get out of the rat race and went to work on a farm. <laughs> it's funny that, don't you hear, don't you, of, of, of city business people, and they've made it to the top. And they say, I don't want to be in this rat race anymore, so I'm going to move to the country. I'm going to live in a village and have a farm. And they think that'll get them out of a rat race. For someone who was brought up in a farming village, I can tell you it's just as difficult to live in a farming community as it, is, as it can be in a business community, believe me. Um, you don't want to cross a farmer. Uh, <laughs> flashbacks. So... This rat race. So what do we do with this rat race that's out there? The, they were in this rat race. They were, it seemed like they were in this rat race. There were no way out. And if, and if you're going to live with the rats, then you've got to fight with the rats. That's not true. I know we're talking about people like rats. I don't actually mean that everybody is a rat. But it's, it's, it's a symptom of this, this type of lifestyle that's going nowhere. 
And, and you might be facing your own rat race in some sort of situation. There was a rat race in the church right now uh, of, in James of fallen humanity operating by its fleshly rules. And so when you talk about being a Christian out there in the rat race, then the idea of being patient, being kind, being merciful, uh, having, uh, correcting your attitude to always be positive about someone, thinking the best about someone, always believing, always hoping, might sound like some Disney film, some Disney ideal film that to actually take what love looks like with some of these descriptions into the marketplace, it might be, well, you're having a laugh, you're having a joke. Don't you realise there's rats out there? You go in there with patience, kindness, forbearance, humility. You go out there with those, those tools in your kit bag, you'll get crushed on the first day. You see, that's what a lot of people think deep down, if, if not consciously, as Christians. I'm here to tell you it's not true. It's not true. But if, but if you go into your scenarios having covered it with prayer, having taken it to the Lord, that's the message today, you take it to the Lord as many times as you need, if you take it to the Lord with effective prayer, you can free yourself to be the person God wants you to be out there in the rap race. And guess what? You will not be defeated by the rat race, but actually you might convert some rats. God is able to come through. If God has called us, this one command I give you, love one another, love your enemies. If God gives us commands like that, it means that not, not that we are set up by God to fail, but on the contrary, set up to be victorious with a way that is the direct opposite of the rat race of self-absorption and, and fighting. What they needed was wisdom from above. We're going to read that just back up in chapter 4 to James 3, verse 13. He's going to speak about wisdom from below. And the wisdom from below, that's the works of the flesh. That's the loveless, prayerless life of trying to make life work. We're going to read that. That's where the Christians James was writing to. That's where they were right now. But then he's going to speak about wisdom from above. And the wisdom from above is another description of living the life of love, all right? James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behaviour, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic, and every uh, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition existing, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's what love doesn't look like. That is like the rat race. Verse 17 But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is a, another description of love and what love looks like, wisdom from above. I haven't got time to go in behind these words. One day we will, but I'll just take one word here because sometimes these words don't mean what you think they mean. For example, gentle. 
gentle is not talking about being so, so, having some sort of nervous disposition so that when you hear all these fireworks in Diwali and everything, you go, oh, oh. No, gentle is totally different. You say, I can't be gentle. You don't understand. I'm in a hard-nosed business world. Yes, you can be gentle. Gentle means strength or power under control. So gentle was used of some of the great Roman generals and some of the great emperors in the past because they had such tremendous power and authority and strength under their control. But if they used it for the benefit of those that were under them and for the benefit of good, they were called gentle. So I'm speaking to every boss here today and every line manager. Do you have gentleness, authority under control, strength under control, whatever power you wield, do you have it under control for the benefit that those that are working under you? See, love is intensely practical. It, it, it allows you to confront situations head on but with the right attitudes that means that you might have to confront a person or a situation difficult person difficult situation head on but you do it for their own benefit as well as the benefit of the situation why because you love them or you're growing in love for them you can't just do that without prayer You'd have to pray that confrontation through so that you could get out all the flesh in your own heart about it, your anger, your annoyance, your frustration. You'd have to take it to the Lord. But you'd also have to take that confrontational meeting to the Lord and say, Lord, you take control. You bring wisdom. You bring your Holy Spirit so that whatever happens, I know that I've prayed it through. I'm going in with the right love attitude, but I'm also going to deal with the situation as it, as it needs to be dealt with. Jesus was full of love, but he wasn't afraid to confront people. But Christians today say, oh, I confront people because Jesus confronted people. Yes, but Jesus was prepared to die for the people that he confronted, and you're not. <laughs> See, a little, little bit of a different attitude, isn't it, for us to grow in, all right? So I'm just throwing that out so that you don't think that in the rat race, love and prayer is some sort of weak option. You know what I'm saying? It's not. It's the option that's best for you, best for everyone, best for God. But you're going to have to take it to the Lord to have confidence to be what love needs you to be in any given circumstance. You've got a problem in your marriage, perhaps, with your husband or, or, or your wife. And, and you say, well, how, what does love look like? Well, God will show you through his word. But at the same time, you're going to have to take it to the Lord. Because of the bitterness or the anger or the hurt, you have to take it to the Lord. How many times? As long as it takes. And you're going to have to work on that, on, on, on it. You're going to have to pray it through. You're going to have to, you're going to as, as you extend forgiveness, as you extend love, as you extend service, and you're not getting anything back, you're going to have to keep taking it to the Lord for his wisdom and his strength. This is God's way. And you say, well, well, well how many times do we have to do that? Well, this is where I'm going to end. I'm going to take you back to the end of James. Verse, verse 17, James 5. You see, prayer is the supernatural oil that lubricates the machinery of daily life. I'll say that again because it took me ages to write. <laughs> I delivered it like it was profound, didn't I? Prayer is the supernatural oil that lubricates the machinery of daily life. If you're not praying things through, then God's not really involved like he could be. 
And you, like, you might be like the, son, be like the song we sung, be going through things you never needed to go through, having pains you never needed to go through, and situations that never needed to happen. There's enough on our plate just following Jesus without going through things that we never needed to go through, correct? So here, verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again. And the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Now, it's interesting that Elijah is the example of someone who prays and brought into this situation of the rat race. And so James is saying you need wisdom from above, peaceable, reasonable, with patience and endurance and understanding. But then he's also saying, but you need a prayer life like Elijah. And someone says, a prayer life like Elijah. And James says, yeah, he was just like you. So when we're dealing with the rat race, we need to move in love and whatever love demands and the Holy Spirit will show us in those situations. But we also need a prayer life like Elijah in order to do what James is saying and move out in love. You can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. You can't have a rip-roaring prayer life and go around kicking everybody uh, spiritually wherever you see them. It won't work. But neither can you think that you can move out in love without first having the confidence of dealing with the situation in the prayer closet so that you know God's in control. I can step out in faith and I can do the God thing, the good thing, the love thing. And Elijah is the picture now, I'm not going to go to it. We don't need to, and for time's sake. But for those making notes, the story of Elijah's praying for rain is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. That's 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 41. But the story is this. God spoke to Elijah and said, I'm withdrawing rain from this country for three years. Elijah prophesied it, and for three years there was not one drop on the earth. And then God said, I'm going to send rain. Elijah heard it. He knew it was God's will. He knew it was God's word. And he announced it to the king. And he said, Ahab, you better get traveling. Because God has said the rain is coming. And I can hear it spiritually coming. So you better get traveling. Because very soon there's going to be so much rain, you won't be able to travel. It'll be, it'll be too muddy, too, too rainful. So get on your way. And then he goes up and he begins to pray. And he's got his servant there. And so he's going to pray that God's will will come into the human situation of need. And so he prays, your will be done, your kingdom come, send the rain. Then he says to his servant, go and have a look. Can you see anything coming in to the coast from the sea? So the servant goes, comes back and says nothing. Elijah says, okay. He prays again, send the rain. And then he says, off you go, now go and tell me. The man goes, he looks. He comes back and says, I'm sorry, I don't want to disappoint you, but there's no rain, no clouds. So he prays again. And he sends him again. And then he comes back. He says, sorry, nothing's happened. So he prays again and sends him again. And he comes back and says, sky's even clearer than when I went last time. It's got worse. So he prays again and sends him again. And he comes back and he says, how long are we going to be doing this? So he prays again and sends him again and says, Elijah, perhaps you got it wrong. 
So he sends him again and he comes back and says, well, there's a cloud. It's the size of a man's fist. Elijah says, that's it, let's go. It's happened. You see, James showed us that in order for there to be an impact in our daily lives, out there in the rat race of a fallen world, you're going to have to take it to the Lord like Elijah, not one time, not two times, but as many times as it takes. And this is what we have to learn, persistence in prayer. You see, the first thing God will do when you take it to the Lord in order to live and increase your life of love, the first thing God will do is start working in you. And so God will sometimes delay things on purpose because the delay is so that he can work on the issues that are in our hearts. God, God only delays answers because he's got a better plan. He needs to work something through in you before he gives you the answer. Otherwise, you'd be like spoiled children. Lord, give me... Oh, thank you. Lord, can I have... Wow, brilliant. Lord, will you... Oh, you've done it already. That's, we'd end up being like spoiled children. More important than God answering our prayer in the world is God developing us into the image of Jesus on the inside. God is more concerned about how you grow and mature than answering your prayers in the rat race. He can do that in an instant and sometimes he will, but often he's saying, I'm going to use this to grow you, to mature you, and then you're going to see my power at work in your life. So what I'm saying is this isn't a quick fix you know, I'll pray and then I'll go out and serve coffee to my, to, to my boss and he'll get saved. Or she'll get saved. No, you'll, serve boss, you'll probably serve coffee to your boss and she, he'll probably say, where's the sugar? And you'll go, but I prayed that he'd, he or she'd get saved and, and I tried to be loving and it's, and it's not worked. No, you're going to have to take your boss back to the Lord. And you do it and it becomes a lifestyle. You take it to the Lord. You go out and you try. You try to live what love demands. You take it to the Lord, you get a bit more confident because in the end, God is in control, not the rats. We were rats, we're born again now. And sometimes when you're in a situation in life, that rat nature, if I can use that phrase, the old nature, that rat nature tries to come up and says, go on, you're with rats, be a rat. But you say, no, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to take those feelings to the Lord and then the new creation's going to come out. And the new creation is loving, kind, compassionate and knows that when you pray about it, God's in control sooner or later. The rat, there is no king rat. There's only King Jesus. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. This isn't an overnight thing. This is a journey. There'll be mistakes on the way, but let's get on the way of prayer and love. Take it to the Lord and then act like the Lord. And then take it to the Lord and then live like the Lord. And then take it to the Lord again and then do what the Lord would do. Take it to the Lord and wear those what would Jesus do things. Just what would Jesus do? And take it to the Lord. You can't do what Jesus would do unless you've taken it to Jesus. It's a growing thing, but it's the only way. It's the destiny. And it's what will bring great results. And remember, effective prayer of a righteous person can accomplish much. We've tried so hard in so many ways to accomplish things in our lives, environments, and surroundings. Perhaps if we do it Jesus' way and take it to the Lord... 
see what love demands in every given circumstance and give it, a to, give it a go and keep taking it to the Lord and giving it a go and keep taking it to the Lord, we're going to see the kingdom of God come into our environment sooner or later. He will answer. He will come through. Be encouraged. Amen.